Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of the modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wool on us. Painting and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinizing through their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. Uh, many years back, I started a tradition at TechDirt for the final post of the year in which I talk about uh, all of the reasons that I was actually optimistic about uh, how things were and where the world was going. And this was actually in response to a few conversations that I'd had in the previous few months uh, with people who had met me in person for the first time after only knowing me uh, via what I wrote on TechDirt. And in both of the conversations that I'd had, uh, people noted with some amount of surprise that I seemed to actually be a happy and optimistic person. <laughs> and frankly, I didn't quite realize that I put out uh, a different aura uh, online. Uh, and uh, But in retrospect, I guess I kind of see it. Uh, and so that final post of the year was an attempt to sort of reconcile the two positions where I, I may appear to be somewhat angry <laughs> online, uh, but happy and optimistic in person. Uh, and as I noted then in that very first post, and as I've noted in subsequent year-end posts, uh, I am an extremely optimistic person who believes in the power of innovation to make the world a better place overall. Uh, but the uh, emotion and sometimes anger that people uh, see and sometimes associate with uh, me with uh, tends to be my response to things that get in the way of all the benefits and, and optimism, whether that's bad laws or companies behaving badly or just bad uses of technology uh, in all those cases, uh, the the frustration that I'm expressing, expressing is not pessimism. It's more of a reaction to the delta between what I think the world could be and what it actually is. Uh, my optimistic viewpoint stems from my general belief that we'll uh, close that gap between what the world can be and what it is. Uh, but eventually. We, d we don't know quite when, and I try and uh, make it happen faster rather than later. Uh, and my anger, whatever anger is expressed, is really an attempt to move us in that direction. Now, uh, while I only met John Perry Barlow a few times in my life, it appears that he had, I think, a somewhat similar outlook on life, uh, though he certainly expressed it in a very different way. Uh, recently, Jamie Boyle and Duke's uh, Tech and Law Review put together an online symposium on John Perry Barlow that had many wonderful and interesting looks at Barlow's legacy, um, most of which are positive, uh, some not so much, uh, but uh, a variety of different viewpoints. And one of the most interesting, not surprisingly, came from EFF's executive director, Cindy Cohn, uh, who knew Barlow, um, which is not a surprise, of course, who because he was, among other things, one of the founders of VFF. Uh, Cohen's essay is a, a useful one, I think, especially now that we're in the midst of such a complete backlash against technology uh, and, and some companies in the internet space. Um, it, that piece certainly dispels the myth that Barlow was just a wide-eyed, naive tech utopian. Uh, uh, actually, as 
uh, Cory Doctorow had noted in another one of the pieces that's included in the symposium, uh, you don't go and create EFF, the preeminent digital civil liberties organization, if you think that everything is going to go your way automatically <laughs> uh, and the world doesn't need help in that direction. Uh, Cohen's piece digs in much deeper, though, about how uh, Barlow's view in presenting his optimistic viewpoint was really to invent the future by promoting what he wanted to see and where he wanted the world to, to go. Uh, and she notes, even as lots of people are bashing everything about tech, we shouldn't lose sight of just how right Barlow was in that aspect and just how many wonderful things have actually come about because of the internet. So uh, here to talk uh, a bit about both Barlow and uh, what I would call the optimistic view of the internet. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Cindy. Thanks. Um, so let's let's start with uh, with John Perry Barlow, uh, and we'll link to your piece in the show notes so people can read it if they haven't already. Uh, and I, I recommend it and and all the other pieces in the symposium. Actually, it's very interesting. Um, but give us kind of uh, a, a quick response, I guess, to to those who um, you know try to mock him as sort of this naive techno utopian. Well, one of the things I do say in the piece is, you know, Barlow loved any attention, whether it was good or bad. And so, you know, you can find Barlow on all sides of this thing. But, you know, we we worked together for a, a really long time. I mean, I first got involved in the with the EFF in the 90s and joined uh, uh permanently and in, in, well, hopefully not permanently, but I joined as a <laughs> staff attorney um, in 2000. And so we, we've known each other a long time. And, and, um, and I, I do know that Barlow, um, you know, he, he really, really wanted the internet to be a place that where we could kind of reset society a little bit and do mm -hmm. better. Um, and, um, and, and that was what he was trying to bring into, um, you know, bring, bring bring about and um and there's a, a quote that i put that, that i'm not uh, of a, a piece that he actually wrote to the washington post in in response to one of these kind of periodic you know wide-eyed optimists you know uh have been proven wrong about the internet and barlow was kind of the straw man for that right um and um, where he wrote a response where he actually said this. So the inventing the future really uh, is not something I made up. It's it's what Barlow said that, you know, he 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 believed that the, you know, the the best way to uh, predict the future was to invent it. And so he, you know, envisioned an Internet where we really were um you know, all able to enter without fear or favor, um, and and have you know a, a kind of a leveling around power, um, and in the hopes that that would inspire people and and get people to actually build uh, that community. But but uh, but you know he he I, I don't know if EFF is him hedging his bets, but certainly <laughs> EFF's job is to try to make sure that that actually happens as opposed to the other things. And and uh, Barlow was well aware of that. I I think the other thing that I try to point out in the pieces that in the late 1990s, if you were interested in, in how you would build a better internet, you know, you're fundamentally thinking about the role that governments could play um, because right. the governments were the ones who were threatening uh, that this, um, you know, this ability to have freedom online. And, and, um, so, you know, I think, you know, Barlow was definitely libertarian. I mean, he was much more interested in governments and their ability to squelch people than he was private, private entities. I, 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 I 
completely agree about that. But, you know, more deeply, Barlow really believed in the power that, 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 that everyone should be free, that we should be. He was no more interested in, you know, big government squelching you than big corporations squelching you because, you know, Barlow was kind of, a, you know, he was this guy from Wyoming who believed in individuals and their ability to be free. And so he didn't like amassing power in any of these um, right. situations. And I think that, that sometimes he gets a little pigeonholed. Um, um, so anyway, I mean, you know, he Barlow was, again, uh, Barlow was perfectly happy to uh, be the poster boy for all sorts of things as long as <laughs> as long as he was still the center of attention. So I don't want to, you know, stand too strongly on this. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he never stopped surprising me with his views on things. So I also don't really want to pretend like I can channel him. But sure. but I did know him pretty well. And he certainly did not think that the internet would magically make everything better or that it would be a really great internet if companies just ran everything. Right. Neither of those things are true. Right, right. And I and I and and I think that's it's important that um you know, and I think there there are a lot of people in this space who who actually you know feel similarly, right? I mean, you know, when his his biggest concerns about government, as you said, you know, that came about at a time when it was that was the concern, right? There was no, um, you know, you didn't have an internet giant at the time, uh, or or a series of internet giants that that could sort of you know control or impact the the internet in the same ways that that we have today, and and I think that. You know, certainly later in his life, he did express at least some concerns about the way that the Internet was playing out. Um, yep, you know. he certainly did. And, and, you know, we, you know, one of the areas where, you know, we, we he really had to do some soul searching was around network neutrality. And, yeah. you know, he started off from a very firm place that, you know, the, the last thing you want is a government agency, the FCC, being in charge of the Internet. Um, because, you know, those were the same morons who tried to make sure nobody could say anything indecent, right? Like, right. you know, I mean, I, 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 the, 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 it's, a, it's a through line um, in terms of all the ways in which government got the Internet wrong in the early days, which were the reason that EFF was, was created to, to that view. And, and, but it, it, and it took a while and it took a bunch of conversations. But, you know, ultimately he was comfortable with the position that, that, that EFF took that, you know, we, we, we needed – you know, in order to combat the duopoly and to ensure that people had the ability to compete against the duopoly of Verizon and AT&T, we, we needed some rules of the road. Now, that didn't mean that we needed lots of them. Right. <laughs> um, right. But, uh, and I, I'm not sure he would have drawn the line in the same place that I would, but, but th that was an area where we really went through, you know, we really had a series of conversations and, and you know, the recognition that the the big two phone companies were really squelching competition and squelching people's freedom. You know, he, he wasn't interested in supporting them, um, that continuing, um, once it was clear that that was the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, a, a sort of similar path to, to one that I took where I, I was, I was very much worried about the FCC in the early days and not, you know, and, and honestly in the early days, not entirely convinced that, um, that there was that problem because I don't think in, in the earlier days there there was. Uh, I think that that there were a bunch of you know there were a few court decisions and um, you know some some mergers and acquisitions and some 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 corporate decisions that went along in the sort of you know mid two thousands that that really began to shift the market and we began to see the the overall impact of that over time and that that slowly got me to to 
shift my position though to, to one that I think actually is pretty similar to EFFs, which was that uh, to be you know to, to be wary about what those rules were, but that you know setting a baseline um, that that allowed for more competition and uh, you know and more innovation was was kind of an important position to take. Yep, and and uh, me too personally. You know, I think that that I think that those of us who came up in the '90s, especially, are very yeah. concerned about, you know, this this the the, and very recognizing that, especially at the FCC in the 1990s and in the early 2000s, like there wasn't even anybody there who understood right um, what was going on in the kind of public internet. You know, yeah. I mean, they understood. I would, you know, I went there and lobbied on some things, and you know, they would understand very well, like the deep infrastructure of the backbone, but the part where the humans were um, yeah. was not at all even known to them. And, you know, I, I know that, you know, the, Dave Farber, who's on my board, was one of the first, you know, the first um, technologists at the FCC. Um, and, you know, he he was very lonely there. <laughs> right, right. So anyway, I, I just as, as an example, you know, I think we've all we've all um, watched as the internet's changed and some of the things that were our priorities and the way we thought about things when the internet was one way, um, you know, have changed over time. And I, I think that's healthy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think so too. And I think, you know, I had written a long piece explaining why I had changed my mind. And a lot of it had to do with like, you know, it, it's important to actually you know, have evidence <laughs> for for your positions. It's one thing to have you know an ideological viewpoint of how things should work, but but evidence has to matter in the end. And and when when the evidence reached a point that there you know that that we were in a position that that was not good, um, then then you sort of have to figure out how do we get out of this position, um, and and how do you make it work. And so that's that was sort of my whole take on on the net neutrality aspect. Um, so moving on a little bit to to this idea of like being more optimistic or you know we we are living in this weird world where um right now it seems like everyone hates uh everything having to do with the internet and we're being told that nothing good has ever come from the internet the world might have been better off if the internet had never been invented in the first place um i i uh disagree strongly with this viewpoint um and i get the sense you do also yep <laughs> Yep. And I, go ahead. I mean, yeah, I think that um I think that the, you know, that I mean, I kind of feel like I spent, you know, the probably the first 25 years of my career convincing people that things could go terribly wrong if right. they didn't get the internet right. And so now that everybody not only sees that but is kind of, you know, circling the drain around <laughs> the internet, I kind of feel a responsibility to begin to articulate like what would the world look like if the tech worked on our side? Right. Like, what would it look like if we had a good so, you know, I I I've always believed that the, you know the technology is pretty um, capable of doing good things or bad things, and it's the humans who have to decide what they're going to do with it. And um, I, I, I kind of, I think, you know, I kind of woke up one day and realized, like, I've we've we've won in convincing people things could go terribly wrong. <laughs> um, so now we got to kind of help people think about what it would look like if it went right. And so that's kind of the the impetus behind this. And I, I realized when Jamie asked me to write. Um, a piece in honor of Barlow that that was, you know, maybe what we're doing is trying to redo what Barlow did, you know, right. um, now. And and so I kind of use this piece as an opportunity to try to think about what what that would look like. And um, and I've kind of tried to 
figure out who else in the world is thinking like that and um, and begin to to piece together a, a story. Because, you know, as much as people say, well, we, the world might have been better off if we didn't invite the Internet, they're not throwing their phones. And chances are they're typing <laughs> on the Internet when right. they're saying that. So we're not... We're not, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I know some people have decided to drop out and go back to the land and live and on, you know, but, but, <laughs> but I don't think that's what we're going to do. So we have to figure out how do we build a better technical world? Cause we're, we're not going to not have it, you know, unless we, we do, you know, climate change gets to the point where none of our technology <laughs> works anymore, but let's not talk about that. Right. Right. That, that, that might be a different discussion altogether. <laughs> I'll lose my optimism real quick. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and it's, it's this weird line that I think has to be tread. And I think, you know, it's, it's one that involves nuance, which is like, you know, <laughs> so dangerous uh, in, in this day and age where, you know, everything feels like there has to be a sort of black and white answer to it. And this is this is part of my concern um, with these discussions is kind of where the narrative has gone. It's, you know, when, 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 when there's this, you know, as people call it, tech lash, um, you know, I think that there are legitimate concerns that people are raising. There are legitimate things that people are, are uh, worried about, and there are legitimate problems that have been created by the internet. And I, th I think that's important to, to recognize. But the, um, the solutions that people seem to be bringing up are often just so focused on, on being vindictive and, and, and punishing the internet as a whole because of the bad stuff that it ignores all of the good stuff and and whether or not you know you know whether or not you're destroying the the opportunity to have more of that good stuff in an attempt to sort of purge ourselves of anything that's been declared bad yep i think that you know and it, i again it, i think it's it's not surprising given that that's what we're doing in every else in our culture right sure. is that there were a lot we're kind of stuck in this black and white world and there's there's only heroes and villains yeah. Um, and believe me, there's plenty of people on the internet who are completely legitimately called villains, but, um, right. the, 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 there are also opportunities for heroes. And, you know, I spend a lot, so much of my time in the, in what I think of as kind of the public interest internet, you know, with the internet archive and Wikimedia and creative commons and, you know, the, the kind of people who are doing, you know, the security research that tells us when we need to, you know, we need to, to make our tools better and, and, you know, people who all around the world who are trying to get their voices out so that they can get some help for, you know, horrible situations in, around the world. And they're all wanting to use the internet to do it. So like, I, I kind of want to, you know, like more of, you know, less of this and more of that right. is kind of the, the way that we think about it. And then what are the, um, and because there, there's a lot of babies in that bathwater. Yeah. Um, and it's important that we don't, you know, not only, you know, and some of the proposals are actually hurting the very people, you know, I yeah. think some of the stuff around CDA 230 is really going to hurt the very people that some of these people think they're, they're protecting. And in others, there's just other people who are going to get sideswiped by these ideas. And um, so, you know, it, it's kind of where EFF is in a lot of things, you know, once everybody agrees that there's a problem, a lot of people just want to check out of the part where you try to figure out how to solve it in the right way. Um, and, you know, that's often where we, we, we come in. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so let's, in, in case there are people listening who are, um, who disagree about, about our optimistic viewpoint, I mean, what, what you know, let, let's discuss like what, what, what's good about the internet right now? Well, I think that the, you know, first of all, 
you're doing a podcast with me right here <laughs> over the internet, right? Like, yes. Uh, and um, and and the ability for people, you know, without you know a, a major network backing, uh, without having to go raise money from you know the 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 kind of rich people of the world, um, you can you can reach this this audience. Um, you know, that's a that's a really good thing in a lot of situations. It's a bad things in others, but um, but I think that you know freeing people up to have real freedom of expression and to be able to get an audience um, uh, where they might not otherwise get it is, is one of the things that, that I think it's it's almost in the air right now. Like people don't even see it anymore, right? Yeah. People, people, it's it's something that was so revolutionary when you know when it when it first started happening and and you know um, kind of just some person who was interested in some issue could start a conversation about it and suddenly every people around the world who are like I'm interested in that too could join in like that 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 did not happen before we had the internet yeah. uh, much less with the ease and scale that it does now and um I still think that's a really good thing you know my my own kind of you know internet origin story was I grew up in a tiny little town in Iowa and I was very limited you know I mean it was a great town i'm very happy to have grown up there but the public library was not very big and so i could learn and read and get knowledge about all the things that were in the newton public library in newton iowa um that's not the case anymore yeah. um and you know for kids especially kids who grew up with a you know uh, different sexuality than their community different interests than their community kind of the misfits of the world you know could kind of all find them find each other um and and again especially for the lbgtq type kids and other people i mean the internet was a was a lifesaver literally yeah um and we still all have that that hasn't gone away we still have that um and uh, and I think that's a part of the, you know, of the 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 what the digital revolution has brought that we we want to we want to protect and preserve. But you know, so and and I agree. But but you know, one of the responses I've heard when I've said that is, you know, yes, that's true. But what's also true is that you know, people with ill intent or or otherwise, you know, mal intent, uh, you know, have been sort of capitalizing on that fact to to do things in a fairly abusive way, whether it's, you know, driving people into, um, you know, questionable beliefs or, you know, other forms of, of misinformation or disinformation. Um, and, and this idea of like, yes, that, that was nice that we could connect people, but that ability to connect people and to start conversations has been you know, as the phrase goes, weaponized um, to do real harm. So how do you distinguish between those two things? Well, I think there's a couple of things. One is that there's a whole lot of other pieces about today's weaponization that are not part of the original thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, algorithmic decision-making about what you see next, sure. right? Yep. Which is absolutely, um, I think, you know, you know, we've all learned something, I would say, in the last five years, which is <laughs> that um, that when people say, in, you know, that, 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 that if your business model is to try to keep people engaged and try to keep people on, keeping them outraged is <laughs> is the best way, is, is a very good way to keep them on. And so we've created these outrage machines um, that feed the outrage and that add to it. Now, that's not, you know, to me, that's a that's a that's a part of a business model. Um, mm -hmm. it's not something that is kind of central to the internet, necessary to the internet or anything. It's a business model that's been built on the internet, um, that we might want to rethink, 
um, that we might want to say, look, you know, that this is, this is, um, you know, and I, I think there's a real need for a lot of research on this. I I do want to poke one or poke back a little bit, you know, this, this idea that people are, um, uh, you know, turned into extremists, uh, by the way the internet works when they otherwise wouldn't be, um, is a theory that, that I, 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 it makes me nervous, and the reason yeah. it makes me nervous is because it grows out of this countering violent extremism stuff that happened right after September 11th, where there was this argument that people got radicalized into becoming terrorists online. And there was just a lot of really discriminatory and awful stuff aimed at Muslim communities and people of color um, that grew out of this theory, and the theory was never proven. It doesn't, it's not true. There's It's, it's junk, uh, right. junk science. And so um, now, you know, when it's about uh, white supremacists, you know, I'm all for everything we can do for white supremacists, but I don't think pulling a junk science theory out of, you know, what we did after 9-11 to the Muslim community is, is going to work or the right thing. We need to actually really think about what how this really works and, 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 and use real science to try to figure it out because I am, I'm nervous that this, this, that if we just take this, uh, you know, again, in the, in the bureaucratic speak, it's called CVE countering violent extremisms and just kind of plop it down into the white supremacist world. We're not going to be any more effective um, than we were trying to stop ISIS with this theory. Yeah. And, and I, I kind of feel too, like it's another area, uh, you know, one of many and, and many of the things that we're talking about where, where there's an awful lot of nuance and there are an awful lot of variables and, and people sort of tend to gravitate towards what look like simple solutions when, when often that's not true. I mean, I just had, uh, uh, you know, again, the, on, on the wonderful side of the Internet, <laughs> um, you know, uh, uh, a guy that I knew in high school who I really have not spoken to other than random Facebook interactions for the past you know, 20 plus years, um, who, you know, was, I would describe him, I would say as sort of, you know, a punk rock kid, <laughs> uh, from when we were in high school and was very, you know, uh, fighting back against the establishment kind of kind of kid he he posted this interesting thing and this might be just a nature you know hit, starting to hit middle age <laughs> where you know he was saying you know I, I i grew up with all this sort of you know uh punk rock ethic and i and i push back when when you know adults said that like horror movies would would be bad for me or you know this kind of music would be bad for me or this kind of stuff would be bad for me and i'm you know and i i want to rebel against you know this idea that all these different things that we're seeing on the internet is bad for me but like but then somebody pointed out to me like if that was true that none of that stuff actually has an impact then then advertising itself wouldn't work and and he's like so so now suddenly i'm i'm conflicted <laughs> between like you know what what does influence people and what doesn't and i think that the answer is you know it's complicated right i mean there's a whole bunch of different factors and there's a whole bunch of different variables and i don't think anyone should believe that like a single commercial suddenly convinces you to buy a, a particular product uh, in the same way that like a single YouTube video suddenly convinces someone to become a white supremacist. That's right. And I, I just think we need really more science here. Yeah. And because um, we know two things. I mean, there's two scenarios that I think of. One is that, you know, right after the Columbine shootings in Colorado, there was a theory that said that violent video games was what um, caused kids to become school shooters. Yeah. And 
um, there was actually real, I mean, I, I, it's so funny because there's a lot of people on the internet. I was like, there is a social science thing. People do research here, <laughs> right? There was social science research. It was really clear that violent video games had no connection to school shootings. Right. It was a straight, you know, just, just as if you said, well, there were school shooters and they wore blue jeans, so therefore blue <laughs> jeans causes people that, 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 you know, correlation and causation are not right. the same thing. And we know that that's true. Like, that actually got demonstrated. So when, when this comes up again, say, with a, uh, when our president says that, like, there's science on this. It's not true. Now, on the other side, there is some pretty good early research that says that seeing self-harm videos over and over again, the kind of cutting videos and stuff, mm-hmm. um, actually has a, a pretty strong relationship to uh, especially minor girls um, engaging in self-harm. Mm. Um, and so um, I, it's early days. There's not a lot of studies yet, but this might be an example in the other direction where, and it, it really has um, the, the science, it seems to, it has, has um, looked at the repetition hmm. over and seeing it over and over and over again right. seems to have a higher correlation to the actual behavior rather than just the videos themselves. So we've got one example on one side and we've got another example on the other side. So my question is, well, which one is this? Right. Right. Like, like this is, well, these are the questions we yeah. need to ask ourselves. And then we can begin to figure out if it's repetition, if it's the algorithmic decision making, yeah. then you can take, you can be as serious as a policymaker and say, okay, well, let's take a look at this and think about if there are ways that we can create limits on, on this that will, um, that will actually match up with with stopping the harm that we say, as opposed to just reflexively, you know, get that thing off the internet. I don't yeah. like to see it, which is a lot of what we're seeing now. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I think, you know, my, my response to that, even beyond like, which one is this is like, well, you know, why, why the difference, right? I mean, like, you know, actually understanding, being able to understand why in one situation, it seems to have this kind of impact and another situation it seems to have a very different impact. You know, I, I mean, that gets back to the idea that there are all different variables at play. And, and not that, you know, it, it may never be possible to understand all of those variables, because some of them might very well be within like, an individual's brain chemistry, right? Um, but But actually being able to try and figure that out as much as possible, um, you know, I think is important and, 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 and sort of a, a related thing to all of this, um, which gets back to a topic that I talk about all the time is, it's just sort of the nature of trade-offs itself, you know, and, and understanding, like, if we have decided that this particular situation is very bad, um, then, you know, what is the cost of stopping it? Um, and, and, you know, and then, then you can make a more informed decision where, you know, if we're going to, to make these changes that, that leads to, um, you know, to, to, to stopping something bad, you know, what other impact is it and, and how much does that really cost us as a, as a society? Yep. Um, And, and of course we spend a lot of time in that and, 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 you know, this is the kind of babies in the bathwater again, like we, you know, once, you know, I think again, some, some, the you have to evaluate what are you going to lose if you go forward with this particular you know who and not just what are you going to lose who's going to lose if you right. go forward with this particular solution because it's usually not the person who's proposing the solution yeah <laughs> who's yeah. going to lose yeah no uh, absolutely i mean and that gets back to some of what you talked about earlier um with like proposals on on CDA 230 and um you know, uh, and, and I know that that uh, Elliot from EFF had written that piece recently about about changes to CDA two hundred and thirty and who actually gets hurt. 
um, and and how you know it is more likely to impact the marginalized and and oppressed communities who aren't able to speak out and whose voices aren't being heard. Um, that you know when they lose the ability to to speak online, that that that's that is a significant loss as well. Yeah, and it's you know it's it's the especially um, to us I think kind of interesting because we just did this right. We have yeah. a really good example with Fosta Sesto where right. we cut back on the uh, on the the scope of CDA two thirty and and the result you know as far as uh, you know is is really telling for the sex worker community. Um, you know they lost their forums, they lost places where they could protect themselves against it. And you know I live in a neighborhood in San Francisco where. Um, there are more people on the street. There's more sex workers on the street now. You know, I can't. I don't. I don't want to do my own correlation causation right. example, but I'll tell you that my neighbors certainly think that the change in the law has resulted in uh, more sex workers on the street in our neighborhood in the mission. And um, um, and and you know, I, certainly if you talk to sex workers themselves, they will say that they are made much less safe as a result of this right. thing. And, and then of course the other piece that Elliot notes in the points is, is that, um, you know, not only did all the other forums go away there, you know, this reached dating forums and other kinds of things, because in the end it looped in, um, it went beyond sex trafficking to regular prosec- uh, prostitution, which yeah. is of course careful what happens when you go through Congress, you never know what's going to get stuck on your bill. <laughs> right. Um, but that, you know, then Facebook launches its own dating app, right? right. So the so Facebook, who supported Vasta Sesta and Google supported Vasta Sesta, I mean, we, all of the tech companies uh, flipped on that, you know, yeah. and left, left EFF and a couple other groups kind of all by ourselves on the no side. Um, you know, and Facebook then kind of within a year stepping in to offer a... a you know, uh, having having squashed all the other competitors for hosting uh, these kinds of conversations, launching its own dating app is pretty it's pretty telling, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, so so if we reduce it, if we reduce CDA two thirty protection more, uh, you know, further, who's going to benefit and who's going to lose out? I think that that uh, the big tech companies will be fine. Yeah. If CDA 230 liability is reduced further, it's the little ones. And, you know, again, I kind of, as I said, spent a lot of time with the Internet Archive and the Wikimedia, you know, the yeah. public interest Internet. You know, they don't have the ability to weather yeah. um, that kind of liability that a big company like Facebook does. And so they're 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 going to be the ones who suffer. Yeah. Though I find it funny. I, I was in a conversation, I can't remember, a week or two ago. Uh, online, of course, because that's where all conversations now take place. Uh, where, where um, uh, I, I talked about that, you know, the, exactly the same point that you made, which is like, you know, the big companies can weather this and the small companies can. And I was told that, well, that's a big tech company talking point. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, it's um, I'm, I'm, I'm actually making a very different point, but, but the, the, the ability to to uh, call that a big company talking point, I thought was was relatively amusing. Yeah, um, I mean, I do think that there. I don't even know how to handle this moment, right? right. Where where you can't you can't try to point out something without getting kind of you know labeled. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, um, uh, you know. I used to joke that EFF would be a lot wealthier organization if we were as you know. Uh, bought off as people think they are, I know, I know. and you know, and having having <laughs> yeah. uh, having you know, uh, you know, 
called it the surveillance business model in 2007 and fought against it for really long. You know, like there's just a lot of things where it gets it gets kind of hard right now in this moment. And I think the moment, I hope the moment will just pass. I mean, you know, yeah. our work speaks for itself. You know, we we I joke that you know so with the big companies we're kind of frenemies. You know, right. they do the right thing, we praise them, like we did with Apple when it stood up to the FBI yep. uh, in trying to break the iPhones. Um, uh, or that we did with Google when, you know, we stood up for the idea that you shouldn't be able to copyright APIs, right. um, which, you know, I think for those who follow more closely is a, a lot of the fueling of a lot of this anti-tech um, stuff comes because, you know, if you scratch the surface a little bit, you'll find Oracle <laughs> on yeah. the other side of that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, that we'll stand with them when they're do- when they're standing with their users. Um, and when they're not, we're, we're right at them. You know, I, 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 Jenny Gebhardt, who works for me, jokes that, that her, you know, her full-time job these days is kind of, you know, uh, calling out Facebook on its privacy debacles. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, it, it didn't start out being her job, but you know, we, we have a joke around here, you know, it's been, it's been zero days since Facebook <laughs> had a privacy debacle. Right. And so she's, she's kept really busy. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, you know, and, and to, to a certain extent, you know, we go through the same thing and like, we certainly have called out all the different companies and, and yet it doesn't matter. And people are still going to accuse us of, of whatever they're going to accuse us of. But um, yeah, it, it, you know, Again, it, it a lot of this goes back to like that's the sort of simplistic thing to do and, and, and it gets into the narrative. And, and so, you know, I mean, I've had this discussion and it, it, this gets to the overall theme that we're talking about where I had done a post a while back that, that sort of asked people, you know, do you want uh, a better Facebook – you know, a, a, you know, a Facebook that respects privacy and that, 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 uh, you know, is, is not engaged in, in practices that, that, that everyone is sort of disgusted by, or do you want a dead Facebook? Um, and the number of people who are just like, well, we just want a dead Facebook, uh, was a little bit disheartening to me. <laughs> and, and like, I, I understand the emotional response, which is like, this is a company that, you know, has, uh, you know, certainly burned everyone's trust over and over and over again. And so you can recognize the, the idea that like, um, you know, well, the only answer then is, is that it should go away. Um, but like, I think you should also recognize that an ideal world would be, you know, a Facebook that is a good actor that does the right things, that does the important things. And that the, the good stuff that enables the reason why so many billions of people actually use it, um, is, is something that's important to the world also. Well, I think that, you know, the fact that, you know, the, the, I mean, I joke at this point that Facebook doesn't really have customers. It has hostages, right? <laughs> um, and so, you know, I would be okay in a world without Facebook. I got no, you know, my, my focus is usually on what's going to take to have the next thing sure. come along. Um, so I'd be okay with it. I'm not sure how you get there. I'm also kind of, you know, I'm kind of this pragmatic lawyer at the heart. So you can say that all you want, but like, what are the things we can do right now to make people's lives better? You know, raging and hoping that someday Facebook just implodes is not moving the ball forward for any of the people who are being hurt by Facebook right now. I kind of jokingly say, you know, I look forward to the day when Facebook is just another node on the Mastodon network. (laughs) I don't don't know that it has to go away. It just needs to shrink in its power such that it's just another thing. Um, And again, if it goes away entirely, I don't really care. But, yeah, I mean, but it's it's I, I'm kind of trying to aim at goals. I mean, that are 
that are, you know, the, the U.S. government has never issued an order saying this company can no longer exist. Like that has <laughs> never happened. And oh, um, give, so give this administration a chance. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, I, I guess we were all supposed to uh, leave China, but um, <laughs> right. but uh, that didn't happen either. So um, but anyway, yeah. And I so I don't I mean, again, uh I'm fine if Facebook becomes yeah, just a giant smoking hole in in uh, you know uh, in down south of San Francisco, but <laughs> but I'd kind of like to think about the things that we could do to try to try to um, yeah. fix the problem. And 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 to be clear, I mean I I actually agree with you. Like I I have no problem with it with it going out of business uh, either. But I'm I'm talking about something I think that is slightly different, right? Which is like. You know how 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 do we get there? Like if we get there because nobody wants to use it and there are better solutions and and everyone, you know, still gets the benefits that they get from Facebook and you know there is a reason why people enjoy Facebook, um, and they can do that in a way that you know deals with all of the other negative externalities. I guess I'll call it. Um, like then that's great. Let let Facebook go away. What what concerns me about the like the focus on a dead Facebook is that it. It suggests no interest in actually in, in helping to make sure that what's next can come about, right? It, it is it is focused on, you know, uh, entirely on like, well, how can we just do more damage to Facebook? And it's, it's you know, again, like emotionally I understand it and I understand the rea reaction and the reasoning behind it, um, but I don't see how it gets us to that better place, you know, to that place where, where it is just a, a node on the, on the Mastodon Fediverse or whatever. Um, you know, and, and so that's my concern when we get so focused on just punishing, um, rather than like, you know, figuring out how do we get to what's next? How do we, how do we move to that, that optimistic viewpoint that we were talking about earlier? Um, then I worry because I, I feel like, you know, like, like I'm concerned about some of the, the ideas right now in terms of dealing with these large internet companies that really the way that people, some people at least are talking about dealing with them is to effectively lock them in as, as the, the, the companies that rule the internet just with a lot more oversight. Um, but Doing that blocks out the ability to move on to this next world. Yeah, I, I think that that's where you and I are really, um, you know, uh, very much in agreement. Like, I think that the, you know, the the answer to the problems with Facebook can't be that we make Facebook more powerful. It, right. it just it cannot be. And, um, you know, there I think there is a role for regulation, um, but I think that the regulation needs to be aimed at fostering competition um, rather than, again, kind of something that really ends up empowering them. And, you know, we have a long history in the United States of capturing of agencies, right? Yeah. Like that, that, you know, the FCC right now, I think is pretty captured by the, by the two, you know, the telecommunications companies. Sure. And, um, you know, I think Agent Pi is, you know, exhibit A for regulatory <laughs> capture. Um, so that doesn't mean that regulation has no role, but it does mean that we need to think carefully about, about it and um, and and make sure that the goal of the regulation is to make you know is to empower us as end users and create space for competitors um, and you know I'd like to see a little privacy protection along there too sure. um, so but I think that 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 has to be like it, it can't just be anything that makes Facebook unhappy makes me happy right. um, because a lot of the the, the concern is that these things are you know, a they're 
there's a lot of other people who get hurt by some of those things. And B, many of those things will, you know, the boomerang effect is really strong and can be really hard to see sometimes unless you've lived through it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's, that's true. And I, you know, as, as much as I'm told that these are, these are big company talking points, you know, the, the fact that the big companies can weather a lot of these, these ideas and concepts, whereas smaller competitors cannot, I think is, I mean, to me, that's, that's almost everything, right? I mean, that's, that's hugely important um, in, in trying to look at where this, this world will go. Yeah. Um, I mean that, you know, I, I just think that the, the big company talking points argument. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, that, that, that's just like, I, I really think that you have to look at what's being said. You can't just look at who's saying yeah. it. Um, otherwise, you know, that, 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 I think that, that, that can really lead, lead people awry. And I think that, you know, FOSTA SESTA is a great example. Like talk to sex workers about how, how well they, they think that's gone because they were supposed to be the ones who were protected by it. Right. And, uh, and, and, you know, the fact that the tech, com- you know, I mean, again, and, and the other piece about this is the tech companies are not going to, like, they flipped, right? They sure. don't, yeah. they don't, they don't, they, you know, I, I joke sometimes that, like, you know, we didn't, you know, in many of these file- battles that we have, you know, we didn't leave the tech companies, the tech companies left us. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So it might have been their talking points of 10, 10 years ago, but you should look at what they're saying today about a lot of these <laughs> things. I mean, I think there's a lot of legacy stuff that that people want to uh, that I hear brought up in these conversations that are really based on you know something not on what what's going on right now with some of these big tech companies, but yeah. more about things that maybe you know Sergey Brin said a decade ago. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. I mean, to some extent, it's like. You know, it's it's the same thing as like people quoting Barlow from 25 years ago and, you know, and and making a statement about, you know, what what he felt his entire life. Right. Um, where, yeah, you, you definitely have that. And like that's definitely true of Zuckerberg, too. <laughs> you know, people definitely take his his quotes from from early on and, and act as if that is. Uh, still Facebook official policy. Yeah, in, in good ways, you know, yeah. on, 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 you know, some people, you know, like, you know, I can't, if, if, if Mark Zuckerberg says one more time about how he built the thing in his dorm room, I just have to scream, right? So they're just as guilty, right? Sure. Like, it, it happens on all yeah. sides. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> you know, sometimes I wake up and I think I'm still fighting the fight between my dad and my big brother about whether he should <laughs> cut his hair. Like, can we get past this um, culture yeah. war stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, let, let's, let's, let's close on, on something optimistic then, <laughs> because even, <laughs> even as we're talking about tech optimism, I feel like we, we, we constantly just get I know. back into <laughs> it, part of the reason why I wanted to talk about optimism is because it's so not in my wheelhouse, right? <laughs> I am so good at telling people all the way things that could go wrong. Uh, so I appreciate you making me shift because this is not, it's not natural for me. You know, my, my, uh, my normal position is to, to, to really focus on where things are broken and need to be fixed. Yeah. And, and, and understandably too. I mean, and again, like, right. I mean, when, when you do focus on just the optimistic side, then, then, 
you know, I mean, there, there are a couple of things with it. Well, one is like, you know, when everybody is so mad, you just get yelled at, or at least I do, <laughs> which, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit used to that. Um, but, and, and then, you know, the second thing is that it's, it is harder to have sort of the serious conversations um, because, you know, it, it, it feels like, you know, a lot of the optimism is, um, you know, I, we're, we're sort of guessing about like what the future might hold. Right. Um, and at a time when nobody wants to hear about that. Uh, and so I, I think it's, it's somewhat difficult to have that conversation, but I do think, I do think it's, it's important. And I, I, you know, I want people to recognize and, and some of it can just be like the historical stuff in terms of, you know, everything that we, we have, no matter what, you know, certain senators might say about the internet, not, not, creating anything good ever yeah. <laughs> um you know well i guess that the way that i think about it is a little i mean i don't know that i'm optimistic i would think that that's maybe a little too far i mean i i'm definitely a naturally optimistic person i think that the thing that i'm trying to do is like what would a society look like that we could be optimistic about and to me, the, the, the thing that came up over and over again when, you know, I kind of was talking, pulling people inside EFF and around about this was user control, yep. you know, putting, putting control back into the hands of, of the people who are, yep. are, are using the technology. And you can see that, you know, um, you know, and I think that, that one of the, you know, the big piece of unfinished business around some of this stuff is around equality, um, and around, um, you know, kind of equal access for all people uh, to technology and equal power for all people in technology. And that's a piece where, you know, Barlow definitely had a blind spot and um, and a big one and that we mm -hmm. have to make sure as part of this, like it's, we don't want just, you know, we don't want, we want technology that empowers all the people of the world, not just the people of the world, you know, who kind of were in the, in the scope of the 1990s internet. And that's a much bigger group and it's a much more diverse group and that's really important. Um, but I still think that the, the centerpiece of this is the users. Like, what are we doing that's empowering the users? How do we do that? And, 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 and that, that the, you know, that, that to me is the touchstone for how yeah. to think about an Internet that actually works better and how to think about the problems um, that we have. There are other pieces as well, but I think that to me ended up being the centerpiece of where, um, where everything should be. And, I, again, I thought you hit on this really nicely in your night. Um, piece as well that like we need to decentralize we need to re-decentralize the right. internet we need to create the power at the edges um, and we need to empower people to leave if they don't like the the deal that they have um, and then of course we work with so many people who build technology so you know we're not you know we're not just consumers of technologies we should be the builders of technology too and that's where the kind of you know open source free and open source um, ethos comes in the ability to, to break down um, to do you know what, yeah. what my colleague Corey uh, Dr. O calls adversarial interoperability yeah. the things that that I work on about you know the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, and user license agreements, all the things that stop people from being able to build a build on the tools that they have and build better tools than the ones that they have. Those are all things that are, you know, I see as obstacles to getting to this place where end users and and uh, and the edges of the networks are where the control really rests. And and for me that 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 you know, I I'm I, I again, I wouldn't say I'm I'm that those are the things we have to get 
through <laughs> to get to the place where we can be optimistic. Listen, do you hear yeah. me struggling even to say that? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I, I'm I'm in agreement, and that's you know that's that's part of the reason why I wrote that that night paper, and I've had you know some some pushback, and I've mentioned on the podcast before, and people haven't seen. I, I have this night paper about protocols rather than than uh, platforms and and um, you know but part of what I was hoping to get is is to have people thinking about like oh that is a possibility people got so locked into the idea that like Google and Facebook rule everything and that will forever be the case um, and you know so so the only solutions are to sort of you know do much greater oversight on them but we're basically going to leave them in control so it's like you know, trying to understand how can we do that? How can we go back to to the ideals of the of of what made us so optimistic about the internet in the 1990s? Um, and that was, you know, the the sort of end to end nature of it, and that the controls at the end, and that anyone could build stuff. And and uh, you know, I just recently we just on the podcast a few weeks ago had Anil Dash um, and talking about how what he's doing with Glitch in in a lot of ways actually is trying to to do that to bring back this idea of anyone being able to create. Um, applications uh, and 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 create content on the internet that isn't tied to a giant you know centralized platform um, and you know I'd love to see a lot more of that and that's really you know in and not nearly as eloquently or as uh, you know uh, forcefully as 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 Barlow did you know with his pieces it was designed to get people to think like oh wait you know there is this other possibility there is this sort of optimistic vision of where the world could go um, and you know also Corey obviously is is great at getting people to think about that as well um, and and recognizing that you know there are problems today but. You know, there there is a huge opportunity there if only we we were to go there. Yeah, um, but and uh, you know, and those things are happening. I think the other yeah. thing that 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 so, you know, there's kind of there's a. You know, now that tech is so mainstream, you know, and it's on the front pages of the papers all the time and all this thing, though, but the, the way that the, the the media covers tech seems to be about the big tech companies all yeah. the time, right? You get reporters and their beat is Google or their yeah. beat is Apple. And what they don't see is all the stuff that's happening in between, yes. right? All the stuff that's happening where, where and, and I think that, so in some ways, I think people's despair, and I don't think it's the, you know, I think people are just despairing that they could have any, any world other than the one that we yeah. have today um, is because they're they're kind of only the, the the attention gets is is being paid to those big guys and most people I mean the number of times I've ha I've talked with kind of you know ordinary people uh, around the country and been like you know big tech isn't all tech in fact it's you know yeah. it, there's tons and tons of people who are trying to still build technologies that are cool and new um, and different and we, we just need to get the obstacles out of their way there's plenty yes. of people who want to build this world there's plenty of people who want to participate in this world and I think you know I, I view kind of my responsibility and my job is to try to get as many obstacles out of the way as, as possible. We don't have to create that community. It already exists. We yeah. just have to empower it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I and, and, you know, I've, you know, we both live out here in this area, and so I'm sure we both run into all sorts of people who are actually very eager to to try and build this world uh, in a, in a variety of different ways. and And I've been really excited, actually, even with with the the night paper coming out recently. How many entrepreneurs I've had reach out who are saying, "Hey, look, we're trying to build some of what you talked about." Um, and you know, on, on the one end, what what I hear from from 
the the media and politicians is this idea that like nobody even thinks of competing with with uh you know facebook and google anymore and yet like i see lots of entrepreneurs who are very eager to try and disrupt them and and that that's exciting and you know um but you know as you said like the the real trick is is getting the barriers out of the way that are preventing them from doing that and i think yep. you know there there are there are certainly barriers right now that that could be dealt with uh, and so be, yeah, be I mean, nice. I, I tend to live in the world of the legal ones, but I think there's there's funding ones. I sure. think that it'd be you know it'd be really interesting to to think about um, you know why why are why are, you know where's the money going and to yeah. whom um, in terms of these kinds of questions um, and you know the the kind of all the all the pieces that have to be you know I think Brewster's done a really good job. Uh, Brewster Kale runs the Internet Archive, runs the decentralized web summit every mm-hmm. year, and he's beginning to try to create a a community so that people don't feel like they're all alone. Yeah, uh, in doing this and um and and begin to kind of. You know, do on you know, I, I I love my free and open source community people, but like user interfaces, you know, <laughs> gotta get gotta gotta make sure that you're making stuff that anybody can use. Um, yeah. And um and then, you know, there's all sorts of places where there's there's great work to be done, and you know, that's kind of um, could be really exciting if we could we could open up that space and and create create that ability again i i think there's a hunger for it and i think most of the people who are saying that we're you know we're we're stuck here are are not people who think that this is a great world but people who are feeling despair yeah and and so that that that's um you know that that's sad but it also means there's space to move yeah 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 and so um to to try and close on an optimistic note, if you are in that space where you're you despair the state of the current internet, I would I would highly recommend uh, looking around at, at some of what people are trying to do, um, and and figuring out what are the the ways the the positive ways in which things things can change in in a good way, and there there are some really interesting opportunities out there. Yeah, and whether you're a, uh, somebody who's a builder or a policy person or just a user, you know, begin play around with this kind of stuff yeah. and see what there is to do. And of course, support people like Mike and people like EFF <laughs> who are trying to trying to 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 do this. Uh, you know, I'm the executive director; that's my job to say <laughs> yes. those things. But uh, but you know, the community of people who are trying to make this happen are 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 you know we're not we're not you know we we get supported because people think what we're doing is really important and they want to join in yeah yeah no and i I think that is that is really important um but uh cindy uh thanks for for well for everything that you do uh and uh but for specifically for taking the time to have this particular conversation it is always fun to to talk with you about all of this stuff and i know that we could go on for hours but i'm not sure that people listening could listen for, for no hours. yeah i think i think you and i have far more capacity than our audience but thank you so much for inviting me on mike it's always so fun to talk to you yeah uh that's great and um thanks everyone for uh listening and we'll be back next week someone get if we don't stand up to them someone get